My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. It is uh, quite odd to see people in the room when I'm preaching. That's a weird, I never thought I'd ever say that. When you go to Bible college and seminary, you never are instructed to say something like that. But it is good to see you, uh, even all of you, even, even you, Kimo. Uh, God bless you uh, for being here. Um, you know, it is a, it's a challenging time, it's a challenging world. I think it's been a challenging week you know, and, um, and so thank you for being here. Thank you for gathering together. As Pastor Taylor said, we're going to, you know, have more services. And uh, I, I told him, I said, we'll have three, you know, next week, and maybe we'll have seven the weekend after that. I don't know, whatever it takes to get as many people in this space, because I believe that what is going on here has always been a part of church and an important part of church and worship and teaching and preaching of God's word. It's, it's how we grow. It's how we fellowship together. And so thank you. Thank you for uh, risking it all to show up to church. Okay. I've always been impressed by uh, the life and the processing of C.S. Lewis as he worked through the pain, the suffering, and the grief of his life. I don't know if you know much about Lewis uh, as someone who's, you know, read him as a teenager and then went to college and studied him, took a class on him, and then have just really been challenged as an adult by his thinking. Um, Lewis had tremendous pain in his life. And, you know, I just want to kind of go through the life of this man and the loss that he experienced. It started when he was four years old, when his uh, beloved dog, Jaxie, was hit by a car. He was in such grief as a four-year-old that he stopped responding to his name, Clive. And he would only respond when people called him by his dog's name, Jaxie. And in fact, for the rest of his life, his family, his friends called him Jack, and he was known as Jack because of that loss as a four-year-old kid. Well, then just two years later, at at six, his mother died of cancer. And, And as a little boy, and he writes about this, going to his mom and lying with her in this bed, realizing that he was going to lose her the most important person in his life, and as as they buried her, this uncontrollable grief 
began to work its way out in the life of this young man. Well, just shortly after that, his dad abandoned him emotionally as he couldn't handle a child and sent him off to school, to a boarding school. And so he was gone from his mother and he was gone from his father and is from his home where he had been at Belfast, Ireland. He ends up finally migrating to England. And at, as a teenager, he suffered from this respiratory illness that kept him very frail and very weak as a human being. His 19th birthday found himself on the front line of World War I, experiencing the horrors of trench warfare. Just six months later, he was severely wounded, and two of his close friends were killed when a British shell uh, did not make its target and fell short into their trench. Killed his friends, wounded him. While he you know, recovered in a convalescence hospital there on the front line, he began to wonder about this whole idea of God. How could there be a God who allowed all of these things to go on his life. In fact, he wrote later about the existence of war, the existence of cancer, the existence of suffering, resulted in him becoming an atheist. And he he said it this way, had God designed the world, it would not be a world so frail and faulty as we see it. So his only conclusion was, God didn't design a world because there is no God. And he lived for many years exploring the intellect, exploring this idea of living life apart from God. Ultimately, he did come back to a living, breathing relationship with Jesus as his Savior. And he became a born-again Christian and wrote extensively about that. And years later, when he finally did marry, he was only married for four years before his wife got cancer and died and left him with two sons from her previous marriage. Now you think about suffering in your life. I'm sure you've had it. I'm sure maybe you're experiencing it. Uh, Even with the masks and COVID and everything, I I know it's a part of our existence, but I would would like for you to set that aside for just a moment and think about Jack, C.S. Lewis, and the experience that he walked through with his life. And then when he later wrote these amazing words in his book, the problem of pain, maybe that'll be a glimpse for you and for me. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. Uh, he, he writes beforehand that in our pleasure, we don't wake up. <laughs> in our pleasure, we actually numb ourselves to a need for God. When there's more pleasure in our lives, we have less of a need for God is how it works. But God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's megaphone to wake us up is pain and suffering in our lives. As human beings, then, we are most aware of God and God's presence, and most importantly in these moments, God's comfort when we experience pain. When our proud self-sufficiency is stripped away, I mean, we live our lives as if we're the king of our lives or the queen of our lives, right? And we're going to do and we're going to plan and we're going to achieve. We're gonna, and then all of a sudden life shows up and we get fired. Life shows up and we flunk a class or we get expelled from school or we get laid off or a virus shows up, you know, or our football team doesn't win or our presidential candidate doesn't win, right? 
And all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't plan for this. This is not necessarily my fault. To quote God when he speaks to his friend, the Apostle Paul, out of the message, you know, my grace is enough. Paul writes as he explains how he had cried out to God because of his pain and suffering, this thorn in the flesh, how he had cried out over and over and over again, God, please take this from me. And this was a, a tormentor. This was a messenger from Satan. This was a significant thing God could have removed. And God says, you know what, Paul, my grace is enough. My grace is enough for you in suffering. It's all you need. I love that. It's all you need. My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And we like to think, well, if God, if I could just be more powerful and stronger and have more of a platform, then gosh, you would just be seen so much more. And God says, you know, I don't really work that way. <laughs> I work the opposite. In your weakness, I get to shine. I get to show up. But it only happens when you trust in me that I'm all you need and that my grace is enough. You know what a mantra is, right? It's just something we say over and over again. Uh, this would be a good mantra for you if you're suffering. Just memorize this. Uh, there's a lot of translations. I love them all. This message when I thought this was just perfect the way uh, it, it was put together. And if you're struggling, if you're suffering, just memorize this. My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Just repeat that over and over and over again when you're experiencing that pain, whether it's relational pain, physical pain, suffering, whatever it might be, emotional pain, mental anguish. Just repeat it over and over. Let God's word float through you. It's living. It's active. This is not just the word of God from 2,000 years ago. This is the word of God for now, for today, for you and for me, and this will change your life as you allow God's truth, living truth, to change you. It is in our pain, though, that God brings us to a place where we get to taste his love. We get to taste his intimacy. So, what pain have you experienced? And why have you experienced the pain? I mean, you know, we live life as if everything's okay and we build a life for ourselves and that's what we do and then it all comes crashing down. And yet in the pain, we suffer. And maybe, just maybe, like Lewis, as a young child, as a teenager, as a young adult, we decide that the existence of pain reveals that God isn't good. We no longer feel his presence. In fact, we no longer believe in his existence because it just doesn't make logical sense. If there is a God and he's a God of love, how could he allow this in my life? It, especially when we've done everything right. I mean, there are different reasons we have suffering, right? I mean, sometimes it's because of our own sin, right? It's our own selfish desires. Uh, raise your hands if you've ever suffered because of your own stupidity. Okay, all right. Some of you aren't awake. Okay, that's okay. All right. Uh, sometimes we suffer because of somebody else's sin, because of somebody else's decision on our lives. And we suffer because of what they have done. Maybe it's not our problem with alcohol. It's their problem with alcohol. Maybe it's not our problem with remaining true to the marriage vows. It's their problem remaining true to the marriage vows. Maybe it's not our problem with truth and honesty. It's their problem with truth and honesty. 
Maybe it's not our problem with anger, but it's their problem with anger, and we suffer because of other people's sin and selfishness. And, you know, sometimes the reality is this. Sometimes it's just a broken world we live in. And we look around and we go, why, God? And we have to trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, and now the earth is cursed, and our bodies are cursed, and now we suffer, and now there's cancer. And now there's illness, and now there are earthquakes and tsunamis and fires and floods and famine and viruses. And sometimes, and this is, I think this is the worst one of all, this is the hardest for me to accept, is when I'm doing good, when I'm actually doing everything right, when I'm like, I'm like obeying all the commands, right? I mean, it's a good day if I could obey all the commands, right? Because there's 613, so that's a good list, right? I mean, you know what I mean in general. When everything seems to be going right, when I'm doing the right things, when I'm praying the right prayers, when I'm honoring God, and all of a sudden I suffer anyway, that's the hardest, I think, when it's really not our fault because we're doing the right thing. See, Peter, in, in our study, that's what he's writing about. He's writing to people who are experiencing pain, experiencing suffering, not because they've been a jerk or they're hanging out with jerks, but because they've been good. They've been doing the exact right thing, but somehow it's coming against them. And somehow they're experiencing the opposite of what they thought they would experience, that if you do good, you're going to suffer. That doesn't make sense, right? I mean, this is what he says. In fact, I want to ask this question. What if, what if God wanted to use suffering in your life to bring about something far greater than comfort and convenience ever could? Would you be okay with that? Now, he doesn't ask us permission. <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be cool if he's knocking on the door? Hey, I just want to sit down with you. I'm sending an email in advance. You know, I'm going to DM you on this one. I just want you to know in advance that I'm going to send some pain and suffering. Uh, and I'm going to do something incredible out of that. Uh, you okay with that? <laughs> Job would not have been okay with that, right? Job would have like, nah, I did everything right. It doesn't make any sense. I didn't do all that silly, stupid stuff. All these people that are tormenting me said I did. I did everything right. God, that's not fair. Because we have a theology I don't think we ever talk about it this way, but we have a theology that says, if you do everything right, God owes you a right life. You, you, you pray all your prayers, you do all your good living, you, you, you go to church, especially in COVID. I mean, you get extra points for going to church in COVID world. And then you, you give in the offering and you go to your small group and you do good stuff and you serve in all those ways. God owes you the equivalent of all that good stuff that you did. That's kind of how we think it to be. In fact, there is actually a, a false theology out there called health, wealth, and prosperity. They preach that all the time. You do right, and God will give you a Mercedes-Benz or a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley. You do all the right things, and you deserve all those good things, and you need to take those things. That's just not the Bible. The Bible says you can do all the right things and still suffer as a result of the plan of God that wants to do something great in your life. Just listening through the Bible this year, I wrapped up the book of John, John 9. Uh, the disciples look at Jesus and go, hey, this guy that's born blind. Seems kind of cruel if you ask me to point at someone. Hey, this uh, pathetic guy down here that's blind that's been his whole life here. I got a question. Did he sin or his parents sin that resulted in that? <laughs> Jesus is like, that's some bad theology right there. <laughs> it's neither his sin nor his parents' sin. But this happened. So that God could show up and be great in this moment. What if God were to show up and say, I'm going to bring you through some trials, some suffering, 
I'm going to bring you through a season of pain because I want, to, I want to be known in you. In fact, that's about the only way I can be known in you in this situation. Would you sign off on that? I remember as a, a teenager and then early 20s praying this prayer, God, do whatever it takes to draw me close to you. That's a dangerous prayer, my friends. Do whatever it takes to draw me closer to you. Strip away anything that I've built up in my life that's a safety mechanism. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, we want to continue on our series. Verse 21, uh, Peter says this, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Remember this do good uh, in Acts 10, uh, 38. We saw this a couple years ago in a series called Doing Good. This is what uh, Peter says about Jesus. He says, Jesus went around doing good. You know, that's awesome. Peter said that. He went around doing good. I mean, what good have you done in the world today? Jesus went around doing good. Okay, and he healed people. And then he, ultimately he died on the cross. Jesus went around doing good. I hope your testimony, your statement in the world today is that you go around doing good, right? Not, not just quietly, but with a message that you go along with that. But it says here, for God called you to do the same thing, to follow in his steps, right? To do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Peter writes to people who are experiencing suffering. Peter himself experienced suffering. He's writing to people who, who in all accounts, when you look at history, are going to die for the name of Jesus. Peter himself, shortly after this, is going to die for the name of Jesus. He doesn't even count himself worthy to be crucified in the same way, so he's crucified upside down. I mean, crucifixion is enough pain, right? But I can't even do it the way Jesus did it, crucify me upside down. You ever see on the back of the Pope's chair, I'm sure you know this, you see this a lot, right? Uh, It's an upside down cross. It doesn't mean he's the Antichrist. It means he thinks he's the, you know, successor to Peter, and so that's an upside down cross. That was Peter who experienced suffering, who will die, to people who are experiencing suffering, many will die because he remembers back when Jesus experienced suffering and did die. And he says, Jesus set an example that you and I should follow. Um, This Greek word example, this is a cool word right here. This word example, um, how many of you remember being in school and above the blackboard, that's how old I am, or the whiteboard if you're younger, was the alphabet. Lowercase, uppercase. You see those pictures teachers put up there? Elementary school, first grade, second grade, right? Third grade. And they have the lines, the baseline, the ascenders, descenders, all that stuff. And you're taught, and your paper is seriously thick rules, right? And you're taught to write an A a specific way, a capital, a lowercase. And you're taught to do that. That is this word that a teacher an instructor, a tutor, would write out the letter or the word and you just follow along in those lines. You mimic or mirror exactly what the teacher wrote down. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. It's that same word and that same imagery that Jesus set an example. He wrote the letters out. All we have to do is copy exactly what he wrote. We don't get to write our own letters. We don't get to define our own style. We just follow in his steps. 
in his steps. Best example for me of that is years ago when we moved out on a farm and it snowed so much. And my kids, they were young. Uh, we barely had, you know, snow, snow gear because this is Oregon, right? This Hillsboro. Um, but we traipsed around and my guys were so small, they couldn't make it through the snow. And so, you know, dad would walk and step in take a short step, and then they would step in all of my places so they could make it through the snow. Because the snow drift for them when they were a kid was about as tall as them. We get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus when we suffer. What would it look like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus today? This week, to mirror a different path. Maybe, maybe a path of submission and not aggression with the circumstances of our age, whether it's politics or a virus? What would it look like to show a different life like Jesus showed a different life? A a life of service and submission, not power. What would it look like to follow in his steps through suffering and not with fear, but confidence in your heavenly father and his love for you? So whatever it is you struggle with, whatever it is, insecurity, you struggle with pain, brokenness, fears, identity, I don't know, whatever you struggle with, to follow in his steps with trust. Peter goes on in verse 22 and 23 to say this, he never sinned. Jesus never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Isn't that great? You, you, you know the story. When, when you know the Bible, you read the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the whole Passion Week, how Jesus is unfairly treated, how through this whole series of a kangaroo court, he's taken to a Roman governor, and, and, and the, the Jewish leaders, they're like, crucify him. And Pilate's like, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. He interviews Jesus and, you know, interested, you know, Herod interested, but I don't see anything wrong. He doesn't deserve death, but they cry out for death. And how does Jesus respond? He goes along with it. As it says in the Old Testament, as a sheep before her shears is silent, he didn't open his mouth. He willingly went along with it. Not because he was weak, not because he was a wimp, but because he was following in the plan of God for you and for me. Jesus suffered completely unjust suffering, abuse and horror. And somehow he was able in the midst of all of that to completely trust his heavenly father. I mean, I think about it this way, <laughs> if it didn't me, because I'm a justice guy. I would have blasted them, right? I would have done the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I would have melted their faces, right? Okay. A couple melted faces would have silenced the crowd, I imagine, right? Okay. That, that's just me. I'm glad I wasn't there. Um, on the cross, he could have called myriads of angels. He didn't. He called out to his father instead. He remained silent. He chose to patiently suffer because he knew God was going to have the final say because God always judges fairly, but not in this life. It doesn't look like it, right? God always has the last word. Jesus believed in what we call the sovereignty of God, the plan of God being worked out, and he put his life in God's hands, and he rested in that, even though the pain of the cross was what he had to endure. It says in verse 24, he personally, 
He personally, he didn't give this over to anybody else. God himself personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. God personally carried your sins on the cross, on his own body, so that we now could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. That's echoing the Old Testament. By his wounds, by the stripes on his back, we are healed. Only Jesus himself, the sinless son of God, could ever bear your sins or my sins on the cross. When we rightly should have paid for that for all eternity, he willingly took it upon himself. He died in our place. He carried our sins. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. Why? Because the next verse tells us, because we were like sheep who wandered away, that we took off on our own path. But now we have turned to the shepherd Jesus, the guardian, the overseer of our souls. Now, I would hope that as a follower of Christ, and, and, and most of us are, I'm sure, here or watching, we go, yeah, I know that. I remember praying that prayer. I remember I was nine years old or three years ago, and I came to God and I prayed that prayer. Let's get on to something that helps me today. <laughs> Here's what I'd want to say to you. You got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. <laughs> you got to get up every day and go, look in the mirror and go, First of all, because we look this way, you're wretched, okay, all right, this is before we fix ourselves, right? But I mean, internally, we're wretched, we're sinful, we're broken, and apart from Christ, we're doomed. Now we're his saints, now we're his dearly loved sons and daughters, now we have something, but apart from Christ, we have nothing. And we need to get up every day and preach the gospel to ourselves because we still need the gospel. I still am a man in need of a savior, right? Because I can't do it on my own. If I start to live it on my own and try to do it in my own power, it's going to fall apart, right? I forget that I need to remember these words that I had straight away. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. God created everything, and everything was good, and it was very good. And chapter 1 and 2 of the first book, Genesis, was perfect. And then chapter 3 showed up, and Adam and Eve and sinned, and, and Satan, and the whole story, and the curse, and all this. And now we are broken. And Paul says later in the book of Romans that we're born with this curse, that we actually come into the world. And I know, I, mean, I love children. I mean, they're just amazing. But man, they're sinners. They're just suckers. They're sinners, right? And they're cute and everything. But man, they are deceptive from their heart at the very earliest age, right? And what the Bible says is that's all of our lives. And only when we come to Jesus Christ, only when we understand that God will cover our sin with blood, which is an Old Testament story over and over again. And now in the New Testament with Christ's own blood, God's own gift to you and to me, can we ever be saved? Jesus took your past, your present, your future sins upon himself. Jesus is known as a suffering servant. He's known as a man of sorrows. And when you consider his betrayal, when you consider his beating, when you consider his back being ripped and shredded open by the scourging, when you think about being nailed to a cross, the pain of those nails piercing his hands and his feet, and being hoisted up, and the pain of struggling to lift yourself up to breathe. And then that's the physical pain. And then the spiritual pain of all the wrath of God being poured upon him because of your sin and my sin. And somehow he could say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And it is finished. And he gave up his life for us. It's safe to say that Jesus suffered more than C.S. Lewis. (laughs) 
and more than you and I will ever know. But he endured it for you and for me, and we can follow in his steps. My friends, the world is waiting to see people who follow in those steps, who rule and reign not with power and might, but with humility and weakness. Paul wrote so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for us and to actually be sin for us so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The most righteous person ever to live became the most sinful person ever to die for you and for me. I, I, can't think but help, I can't help but think about his humility, his lack of retaliation, his lack of revenge. I, that's not me. Man, I, I, I like things right. I like things just, you know. I want mercy, definitely, but I want justice for you, right? That's kind of how, my, that's how I see things. Anybody twisted like me? Okay, a couple of you, all right. Point to someone if you know someone in the room's like that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You and I are to walk in the way of Jesus. That when we do good even, which is we sh- what we should be doing, people take it the wrong way and they accuse us unfairly and they condemn us unjustly and they punish us in whatever power they have. And we submit to that because we know God is gonna do something great out of that. When Christ suffered, he was maligned and mocked. He didn't plot revenge. He didn't speak out against his attackers. He just simply put everything in the hands of God who judged fairly. Does this mean you should never defend yourself? I don't think that necessarily means that. Does this mean you should never speak up for yourself? I don't think it necessarily means that. But when you suffer for doing good, I think you should be like Jesus, definitely. I think you should stand there and realize that it's not because you did wrong. If you suffer for doing wrong, you deserve punishment. That's what God says. But if you suffer for doing right, you deserve to see God show up as the judge. What can you learn from Jesus today? As a follower, I think we're going to learn a lot. But if you're not a follower, my question is simply this. Do you know him? Because what I just shared with you is what's called the gospel. It's the good news. It's the message that men and women traveled far and wide to communicate. People left the comfort of their home to get out there on a mission and share that message. They shared it with friends. They shared it with family. They shared it with neighbors. That's the gospel. The good news is that even though we're broken and sinful, Christ died for us on our behalf. He took our sins willingly and now we can come to him as the guardian the shepherd of our souls the overseer even though we've wandered he's come after us and he wants to carry us home that my friends is the best news possible would you pray with me father i don't don't know what our suffering is i know obviously in this world right now we suffer because of the pain of covid and the pain of separation maybe we suffer emotionally or politically because our candidate didn't make it. Maybe we suffer because we've been separated from loved ones for so many months that we're just in despair and we're despondent. Maybe we suffer because we're doing good. God, I pray that you would cause us to follow in the footprints of Jesus, the very footsteps of our Lord. If we're suffering because we've, we've done wrong things, God, teach us through that to do right. But if we're suffering from being, just being a follower of Jesus, cause us to rejoice in that. 
that we get to, as Paul said, fill up in our own bodies the suffering of Christ and rejoice that one day you as a perfect judge will make all things clear. Lord, I, I think about if there's anybody here or, or, or overflow room or watching who does yet, doesn't know you yet, that does not yet experience you, that these words of Christ, love and compassion for them in the middle of wandering away as a lost sheep would cause them to come to you and to draw their hearts to you. Father, forgive them of their brokenness and sinfulness. Call them a son or a daughter of yours and cause them to walk in the steps of Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.